Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man, and you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. And welcome to another edition of Turn Chuckle on BBG Wrestling. I am Pablo, and I want to thank you all for tuning into our uh, last episode with Johnny Candido talking about uh, the book that he has written about his brother Chris. Um, can't wait for that coming out. That'll be out in January. And uh, yeah, it's been a little while since we've done a Turn Chuckle episode because it's been nothing but authors and um, you know uh, video game uh, producers, all that kind of thing. And um, you know, including, uh, you know, uh, the RetroSoft uh, video game. And uh, speaking of, you know, RetroSoft and NWA, etc., cetera, uh, I have with me uh interviewer, presenter, producer. Uh, do, you, do you make the popcorn? Do you clean the toilets? You do everything. I actually will do anything that that company asks of me. I am loyal to a fault. <laughs> well, I have with me Kyle Davis. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Um, right, you so, are so one real quick here. If at any point in time I start inflecting your accent, I am very apologetic for it. It's this thing that happens for some reason. Americans, every time we're near an accent, if you give us three minutes, we start kind of like just adopting it. Madonna, it took her like two months of actually being dating a guy to become British. <laughs> I mean, it's all this stuff. So I'm yeah, sorry. But the, the only thing anyone ever does is sound like Dick Van Dyke. That's like the only accent that anyone could do, and he didn't even do that accent. So. I think one of the things when I realized how <laughs> stupid I was is uh-huh. when you're younger, you hear one thing and you're like, oh, that's that's this, that's that. But the as I got older, when I started listening to like people do dialect coaching and stuff, where I realized there's like 40 different variants of the American accent, there's like 50 different like British, there's this. The fact that ignorance of if you don't live there, you just assume everybody sounds the same. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, my God, there's there's nuance. There's different inflections. You're from this region. <gasps> Mind blown. But that's rest, that's wrestling generally, though, isn't it? That's um, you know, yeah. if you're from Japan, you throw salt in people's eyes. That's just how it works. I mean, it is a stereotypical business, and unfortunately, <laughs> if you were raised on this business, you kind of start getting stereotypical yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you are um, I want I think you're the second uh backstage interviewer who I've ever interviewed. Do you want to guess who the first one was? Mm, Tony Schiavone. No, think more. Think more specifically, nineties. Nineties, Joey Styles. No. Oh. You got one more just, guess. Oh boy, <laughs> throw a company at me, so at least I'm leaning in the right direction. WWF. WWF, nineties. Todd Pettengale. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Are um, you serious? I got it that time. <laughs> oh, I hope I get a great prize. <laughs> Yeah, check check is in the mail. Um, yeah, no, that, yeah. <laughs> I think Todd didn't even understand why he had such a big fan as well. I seem to know more about his life than he did. Like I was kind of just following him around. Um, but it's 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 also kind of weird when I'm interviewing people whose job it is to speak. 
um, because this is when you'll find out how terrible I am with grammar, how, you know, I, I, my accent over time has kind of been softened and flattened a little because I need Americans to understand me. Because otherwise, <laughs> I'm, basi I'm basically from the same city as, uh, as Pac. And you know oh, how strong really? this accent is. Yeah, Newcastle. Um, Are you also full of rage? <laughs> I'm also full of rage. There's a, oh, this is amazing that I'm going to get to tell you this. But in, in Newcastle, when we were children, there was this kid's TV show called Geordie Racer. And <laughs> it was about people who they raced racing pigeons because that's all we do in Newcastle is just race pigeons and, you know, um, mine coal and stuff like that. We basically live in the 50s, according to, you know, the rest of the country. Um, so it's a good job Vince didn't see any of Jory Racer because he would have come down to the ring with like a flat cap with like a pigeon on his arm. <laughs> <laughs> now, Newcastle, if is that where uh, John Constantine is from in the comic books? Oh, I don't know. See, Mark's my co-host is more of a comic book guy. Oh, I just I remember Newcastle fitting into that some way, shape or form. So it just was like, oh, wait, hold on. A reference. <laughs> My first ever comic book, just to put this in perspective, was the uh, the WCW graphic. Well, not a graphic novel. It was kind of more of an annual from 91 um, where Lex Luger paid off some hired goons to help him win a battle royal. Um, wow. Yeah, so, oh, it was good. So, so comic books yeah? were never your jam. It was always wrestling. Well, <laughs> you're interviewing me this is you know well, they're, they're 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 kind of tangentially tied together there because usually <laughs> you know children are growing up and those are the things they can relate to it's tv programs it's comic books it's professional wrestling it's things that are larger than life because when you're such a small person have no control over the universe you thrive to actually be able to just you know manifest and i think those are the things that we inflect upon and inject our own personas into it's why pro wrestlers wear colorful outfits this is true. Uh, well, I think, um, yeah, because I was so ingrained in wrestling. Like, sort of, I, I tell everyone this, 1992, when SummerSlam sold out Wembley, that's when the WrestleMania album came out, Slam Jam and all that kind of stuff. So wrestling was probably bigger in this country during that time than it was during the Attitude Era. And that's sort of when, um, you know, you couldn't not see wrestling at that point. And that was kind of my uh my introduction to it but sort of that was also my sort of first introduction to the comics as well because i was reading scoop sullivan in the wwf magazine and uh gotcha. the crows the crows are mag the crows are comic i don't know if you remember that or not it was some Man. weird dystopian future shit it was like on the ultimate warrior comic as well obviously um yeah no they've they've eventually they forayed into comics with limited uh success uh but that was also why i'm a heathen when it comes to comics, because I sort of when Rick and Morty happened, I kind of became a huge Rick and Morty collector for like about five minutes, and I bought the comics, and then I kind of realized I don't have the imagination to make comics interesting enough for me because you have to read it, you have to yes. kind of yes, you put have to the accent, of, you have to put the accent on in your mind or the voice, and you have to also be entertaining in your head while doing it as well. So like I'm just I'm not that good. I'm not that. Uh, coordinated to do that you know, kind of thing. Sometimes a medicinal marijuana will help with that, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't say this on the podcast, but um, I, one of my favorite things is smoking uh, weed and watching Tuesday Night Titans. Oh my God, that's got to be a great combination. Oh, I think, it's. I, I mean, I, I partake in an edible now and then myself, and hopefully this interview makes complete sense. Not that I'm saying <laughs> I'm imbibing, but I mean, let me say, I, I'm home in front of a fire. It's very cold outside. I'm relaxing my two dogs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so, i think yeah. we'll, we'll get to the wrestling aspects of it talk to me 
Yeah, anyway, your career. Um, well, uh, did you have to tidy up your house for your uh, YouTube shows? No, I, I don't have to do that. It's actually quite funny. Um, with the pandemic going on, I, we can't really go anywhere or anything like that. We were doing some shows on the West Coast with Dave mm -hmm. Marquez, but uh, my was not being going out all that far. Like me and Sal and I are East Coast boys. We don't travel well. So we, uh, I basically was contacting. They said, hey, can you do some stuff from the house? Joe Galley's busy right now with Real News. And I said, sure. And thankfully, my wife has amazing interior decorating skills. So uh, literally, I just went into the, the main room in our house right when you walk in. And I was like, hey, this looks professional and staged. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets interviewed like politicians in front of like a bookshelf, don't they? Just oh, to show that. I, I, I constantly watch news and it bothers the heck out of me. You start looking at the books on their shelf <laughs> and I start judging is, is this who they are as a persona on the air or is this who they are as a human being? If so, what kind of human being are they? I just it's, it's fun to analyze it now that we get a little peek inside everybody's lives. Uh, how has your role changed with the NWA since uh, the coronavirus uh, kicked off? Has it become uh, more work intensive in some ways or? Unfortunately, you know, we went right before the last thing we filmed was a press conference from the building we were going to do the Crockett Cup at. And mm. I got to host that press conference between Marty Skrull and uh, Nick Aldis. And I was like, all right, fantastic. You know, I'd started doing uh, commentary on our last set of tapings before that. And the sky was the limit. Oh, let me tell you, the sun was out. I was feeling it, just shone it on my bald head. And then coronavirus hit. And uh, we went from not taping, not having that pay-per-view that was right down the street from where I live, which it was really easy on a lazy man like me, to, <laughs> to not doing commentary, to unfortunately over this time frame, the, uh, a lot of people's contracts expired and you know familiar faces aren't so familiar anymore. Yeah. And uh, so basically I went from having so much going on, it's going to be great to every now and then shooting a local from my house. So in, in terms of, um, you know, because obviously the NWA is still alive and it will keep going, et cetera. It but is, was there, was, no there worry? But 2021 is going to be pretty big. Excellent. That's good. To, that's good to hear. And um, yeah, I was just saying last night as well, I was quite apt that, uh, you know, the power would go off for two hours in my house and, you know, NWA has a show called power, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, <laughs> was I worried? I mean, I've been in the wrestling business since 2006. I trained at the ring of honor Academy with Brian Danielson, who's now Daniel yeah. Bryan. Um, and, you know, before I could talk, I was this, I was that guy, but I have seen things come. I've seen things go. I've had opportunities and I realize that nothing is ever promised. That's why I have an actual job that is a salary position that's not involved in the wrestling industry. Because as you know, I've been told and I've learned from my own family and my own experiences, stability is fantastic. Having dreams and having all these other things, real great. But at the end of the day, you can't have any of that if you're like living on the street. Yeah, so no, I, 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 I didn't think we were gonna go out of business. Uh, Billy Corgan is a famous rock star who not only is a rock star, but loves professional wrestling. And this is his company. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wasn't just going to let something that he put his heart and soul into that he's always wanted just die. Unfortunately, like everybody else, we got put on hiatus, but hiatus isn't the end. So did I have concerns um, for me being a part of it? Yes. For it actually existing? Not at all. And I'm guessing you're going to be, you know, a huge part of it going forward into 2021 and beyond as well. 
I, I will be a part of the company, and it's just a matter of when we can get back to have things being normal because uh, we can only do so many things. I know that NWA Shockwave debuted a couple nights ago, depending on whenever you're listening to this, a couple years ago. Who knows? Um, <laughs> this is why I don't like talking about the virus too much because it's going to date the show horribly it's gonna next date it. <laughs> in, in 10 years, some kid's going to hear this, and he's just born. He's going to be like, I don't even understand. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's one of those deals, but um, I will definitely be a part of everything that's happening, and with the just the debut and everything, people got to see that it was exactly kind of more a compilation of where we've been in recent months. Yeah. While the NWA Power Program hasn't been on the air, and I know that disappointed some, but at the same time, if you had not seen that content before, it was fresh to you. You know, and that's the great thing about YouTube is anybody can tune in any time and have no idea, speaking of dating things, that that was... A year and a half, two years ago. They're just like, oh, this is new. I can't wait to see more. And, and then all and of a sudden, Nick Aldis has gray hair. And you go, how did this happen? Oh, that was from like 15 years ago. <laughs> well, it, it, they've been so um, creative with, you know, keeping up with some, you know, really cool content um, during lockdown as well in terms of the documentaries that were made and, uh, you know, the sort of lists that were made and the sort of talking about uh, previous NWA champions and stuff like that. You know, I talked to Trevor Murdoch and we spoke at length about Harley Race. I'm guessing that's just a general conversation with him. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's completely warranted. It's not just like uh, somebody was just going like, uh, hey, uh, how do you feel about about monkeys that know how to blow bubbles? And you'd be like, what about Michael Jackson and the monkey? And I said, no way. It's not like your brain's just uh-huh. jumping from something that doesn't make sense. It's Trevor Murdoch. Harley Race, that is a that's a thing that actually has a connection in emotional history. Absolutely. So, um, now to sound like a, a real cliched uh, podcaster, um, so what did you grow up watching then? I grew up in Connecticut, which is where WWE is stationed. Mm. Uh, I grew up in the '80s, so like anybody else, I uh, I watched wrestling as a kid a little bit. Wasn't really that into it. Not gonna lie. Uh, my cousin's four years older than I am, so he had had a, uh, an advantage on me. Thing that got me back into wrestling when I was became a fan instead of just watching it as a kid was uh, do you remember Barry Horowitz? Absolutely. Well, I, I've just spoken. I, I've interviewed Barry Horowitz, and I just interviewed Chris Candido's brother. So we talk about Barry That's quite amazing. a lot there. Yeah. So so Barry, it's what that actually ties right into what I was going to say. I remember watching. Uh, I think it was Superstars Saturday morning, and I just had it on. And I saw Barry Horowitz finally win a match. And I just remember involved Hakushi and body Donna, the body Donnas and stuff in different ways. And I remember calling my cousin, who I knew was a really big wrestling fan. I'm like, hey, I just watched that. This is actually pretty entertaining. Around that same time, I discovered ECW in the middle of the night on MSG Network. It used to air at like Saturday nights, which would be Sunday morning at like 1 or 2 a.m. And uh, I ended up catching some episode with Rey Mysterio Jr. and Juventud Guerrera. And they were doing hurricanes to each other on the hood of a car as it snowed outside. And I was like, I don't know what this is. This is amazing. <laughs> and and so, it, it does. It, sorry, go for it. No, no, go. I was going to say, it was one of those things where I'm like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what, I, like, you just stumbled upon it. And then I told my cousin, and he goes, oh, my God. I found that once, like a, like a while ago. His first show he ever accidentally found the same way, ECW, middle of the night. He's in college. He's relaxing. All of a sudden, bam. He sees this dog collar match with the public enemy and, and like just blood and people going through chairs. And he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what the hell it was, but I never was able to find it again. I hit record 
So that's the only tape I have. And we ended up discussing it. We figured it out. And so when we finally started watching all this stuff, ECW was the thing that shaped my youth. Like I was this overweight little punk ass kid and I had kind of short cropped longish hair. And I remember being like, I'm short. I like that Taz guy. He's strong. <laughs> he's short. He's angry. He's a badass. And then also I always wanted to be a pretty boy. So like Shawn Michaels heel era. And I'm talking heel like pretty boy, like uh, 96, 97, the one where like, even as a straight male, I went like, man, I would hit it. Um, <laughs> like that. Whole yeah. era. So like the thing that fit into that was Shane Douglas in, in ECW when he was the franchise, when he just come back and he, he was all starting to form the triple threat right before that. It, that those were the things that shaped me. Mick Foley, because he could talk, but he was kind of an awkward guy that would not make it in social situations. But damn, could that guy talk? You know, Tommy Dreamer always got his ass kicked. Wouldn't win every match. Half the time lost a match, but he'd keep on coming back for more of that no-quit attitude. I talk about comics before and how those make kind of like a small child want to attain other things. This was me becoming an adult and looking at characters that appealed to certain aspects of my personality that I was insecure about so I could build upon them through them. That's really cool. And, and the thing, and I do apologize, my cats are running about the room, scratching on everything. The little you're, you're fine. I used to be a cat guy. Then I broke up uh, with a girl, moved to Florida, met my <laughs> current wife, and uh, I became a dog guy. So, ah, you know, well, um, I also used to be a piece of trash. So, no, I'm not. So, let's face it, women can help men change for better. And speaking of that, I did interview Duke the Dumpster Drossy once as well. So Nice. I'm, I'm just dropping it. I'll just ever. pick up these. I'll just pick up these names that I'm dropping here. Um, You ever see that clip of him where he just throws the trash can lid from outside the ring, soars in the air, hits Helmsley in the head perfect when he's laying on the ground? It's amazing. (laughs) It's like magic. (laughs) Well, I was going to say 95. I mean, the the disparity between WWF in 95 and ECW in 95, which was considered like their bloodiest, goriest year, really, wasn't it? Like. Um, well, I discovered ECW 95 late in that year, so I was still – and I couldn't see it all the time. It wasn't until about summer of 96 I started watching it constantly and catching it all the time. So I was still you know, watching all of these other things where you know, Shawn Michaels is this babyface dream and everything. You know, I, it, it really built upon it. So, um, which was – because you, know, you, you talk about the personalities and everything, but in terms of – the actual wrestling, what sort of switched on the light bulb? What made you want to actually start wrestling at that point and getting into shape, etc.? So it actually took me like a decade to finally do wrestling. We're talking, this is when I'm like 16, 17, that I, I start really getting into everything. And uh, I didn't get into the business till I was about 25. And uh, the thing that got me into it, I was, I was always a fan. And then we started going to ROH shows after we discovered Ring of Honor. And I discovered Ring of Honor through ECW. Um, because one night stand, the, uh, ECW reunion show in 2005, that WWE ran at the Hammerstein ballroom yeah. that same weekend, we went down to the ECW arena and we went to the Shane Douglas produce ECW reunion show that was there. And then we went to New York city and we watched the ring of honor show that was taking place that afternoon. And that's when I discovered ring of honor, which subsequently that night we went to go see the ECW one night stand. So ECW, if that hadn't happened, if I was not a fan, I would never went to a Ring of Honor show. That happened to be in between two shows that I went to, too. And I just happened to fall in love with it. 
Uh, you were you were so spoiled. I mean, it, like, and the thing is as well, people kind of, because it's been what 15, 16 years ago now, which is crazy. But the fact that ECW was going to have a, a return one night thing was so big. It was so huge, and everyone was it so was excited. Amazing. And yeah, I mean, uh, we used to go to ECW arena shows. We used to take a bus tour down to Philadelphia from Connecticut, my cousin and I. So I, I got to see Taz win the 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 title and then drop it to Tommy Dreamer and then, you know, Tommy Dreamer lose it and all this. I mean, I got to be there for these cool things towards the end of the run there. So it's, uh, I guess I am spoiled. I also was at the first Elimination Chamber match. I went to WrestleMania 11, which was Shawn Michaels, HBK. And as a kid, I I almost bumped into uh, Pamela Anderson because I wasn't paying attention (laughs) because she was walking by in the hallway. Um, What else did I do? I'm trying to think of all the the shows we went to. We went to... uh, SummerSlam, I think it was SummerSlam. Uh, when did Lesnar beat Rock for the title? O2. Okay, so I was at SummerSlam O2. That was also Shawn Michaels' return match. I was oh, at the Royal yeah. Rumble. We went to the Royal Rumble that Chris Benoit won. Um, that Survivor Series was the first Elimination Chamber match where Shawn Michaels won the title. Um, I was at um, the only, well, not at the only, but at the time, the first unsuccessful cash-in of the money in the bank when a certain somebody that I work with in NWA tried to beat John <laughs> Cena and failed miserably. Yeah. Is he um, sick of hearing just, about that? Or? Uh, if, if you ever want to talk to somebody who has some very funny stories, he, he is definitely someone that you want to have a conversation with. Oh, I bet. I, I bet. Well, c- can we talk about WrestleMania 11? Cause that, that may, yes. we're taking a very, yes. uh, a very sharp left turn here. Um, I, I, I'm actually in the process of, because uh, I'm a huge collector of stuff. I have so much WrestleMania 11 shit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like, because the I, thing is. That, they, at that time, well, the company was failing. That that was, it was at Hartford <laughs> Civic Center, which is a, it, by all intents and purposes, it's it's a show that, like, Ring of Honor in this current day and age, or NWA, when we were going to do a pay-per-view, would run. It was not a big building. And no. yet that was where WrestleMania was. Did you go to the fan festival? Um, I, I do recall us going to a fan festival. And I recall being such an obnoxious child that I was annoyed that there was lines. <laughs> um, so I, I, my cousin was all into that. And he went to, because again, this was before I really got into wrestling big time. It was just uh-huh. one of those things where it was tangentially. Uh, my uncle was like, JJ's going, you go. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to WrestleMania, whatever. Um, I didn't even give a shit. That was the funniest thing about it. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's amazing. So, okay, so because the the thing is, they were pushing that Lawrence Taylor thing hard. So um, yes, there is. I have a WrestleMania 11 football um, <laughs> with Lawrence Taylor's name on it. Um, what else do I have? I have the key ring with Lawrence Taylor on it. Um, I'm getting a chair. I'm in the process of uh, buying a WrestleMania 11 chair, which is insane. The thing is, I have to sell stuff to be able to afford more, you know, absolute useless. So my question stuff. is, yeah. what is the emotional draw of WrestleMania 11 to you? Absolutely none. Like sort of um, <laughs> the the thing. No, because the thing is, like sort of, I like. I'm in probably the minority that kind of doesn't think it's the worst WrestleMania ever. Um, it's not. I but, believe. I I hate the Caesar's Palace one. Oh, we're going to have to, well, we're going to argue about, I, WrestleMania 9 is one of my favorite events, and this is why no one takes me seriously as a wrestling fan. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I love I WrestleMania mean, 9. 
I will it argue is what it is. You yeah. like togas? It's cool. Myself and Colin Delaney did about six episodes talking about WrestleMania 92. I f- uh, to the point where I think even Colin Delaney's kind of like, yeah, who, you know, you, you've got to shut up about WrestleMania 9 now. Um, <laughs> but the thing, so WrestleMania 11, but the thing is, I think my, I have possibly the most boring piece of memorabilia in my collection because of WrestleMania 11. And it's a, a welcome to Hartford tour guide of all the things that you can do in Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> Um, it's, with, there's like, a financial district, and it closes at five. Does it really? Um, so you can't get drunk, really? Uh, no, I remember as I was older, because that was many years after that that I could actually drink. I think I wasn't 21 until shit. I can't do math anymore. <laughs> How old are you now? 2004. I'm uh, 38 now. Well, I turn 38 okay. next month. Okay. Uh, anyway, I wasn't, I wasn't really old enough to be drinking when I could appreciate Hartford. And I think it's pretty much gone now. I mean, there used to be a hockey team there, the Hartford Whalers. They don't exist anymore. Um, that's it. One thing. I can't imagine WrestleMania. Mm. I was going to say, I can't imagine WrestleMania that year brought a lot of money to the town. Mm. I, I, I definitely don't remember there being like a huge media blitz about it either. (laughs) It's, It's not what it is today. I'll tell you that. So do you think all those photographers around the ring because of Lawrence Taylor, do you think they were just all plants? No, I think they were actually photographers for sports. Uh, like Eric Bischoff has basically talked about why he had sports stars on Nitro is because he realized that that's a target audience that they don't really have. And you can't pay for advertising as much as you're going to get from talk radio in the morning for AM sports and all the other networks for it talking about like, you know, Rodman's going to be here, or this, that. So I think, you know, WWF at that time, Lawrence Taylor was a huge name in the world. So they got so much press just off of him. Same thing with Mike Tyson. Think about this. Mike Tyson made the Attitude Era finally turn around. Yeah. No, this this is why, you know, there are only really a few celebrities that really belong in that Hall of Fame. Cindy Lauper, Mike Tyson, um, and... I don't Pete know who Rose. else. Yes, Pete Rose. Three chokes. Oh, that's right. Okay, Got Pete Rose. <laughs> Muhammad Ali, I would say. Um, you know, for the Enoki uh, thing, even though it was terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just a bunch of kicks to the leg. Hey, that's how you take a man down. Did you hear that there was some audio that surfaced of um, – of, uh, because Bruno had had his match, and it's Bruno and Bill Aptis sat in the dugout at the uh, at Shea Stadium, uh, recording so- some audio commentary for the match, <laughs> just talking about how fucking shit, like it is. Because um, Bruno saved those shows, all those Shea Stadium shows. He was really the main event, but it was against people like Affa, and you know, I mean, okay, the Stan Hansen match, um, and the Zabisco match, and everything, but it was kind of like, you know, he was like sort of not last match on the card for those, which is like really weird. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're going completely off topic now. <laughs> no, no, I love the fact that the boys were just filming something and shitting on it as it was happening, and that there's something that's kept at that. Trust me, I have, I, I was that guy who always had a camcorder on him. So there's uh, so many back backstage stuff from ROH on HDNet and just randomness, like uh, the time Brian Danielson ribbed uh, El Generico, Sami Zayn. Yeah, they're two different people. Uh, when he. <laughs> Basically uh, convinced Sammy that uh, Sammy's friend that he tried to hook Brian up with has been stalking Brian. Um, She won't let him be. He feels a little afraid of her. She shows up at her taping. And then it basically culminates with her stabbing Brian in the abdomen in front of Sammy. And then somebody screaming, oh, my God, she's got a fucking knife. 
and then him freaking out, thinking that he accidentally caused his friend to be murdered by this woman. Oh, that's amazing. What I was going to say, um, you know, no one, anyway. can prove that, no one can prove that Brian Danielson and American Dragon aren't the same people either. Um, I mean, the, the, the American Dragon, I remember, from Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy, had a mask, so who knows? Well, well, that's the thing. We, oh God, American Dragon came to um, a city near where I am, and it was for, it was, um, it was this British wrestling company that kind of did tours, but that was it. And uh, they would bring in some legends, you know, and random names. Gangrel was there, Rennie Dupree was there. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of others, like the the ring announcer, like a like a pantomime. You know, do you you get pantomimes, don't you? Oh, you understand what they yes. are. So, um, yes. When the heel Pantomine, was mimics, does whatever he has to, does this, yeah. Well, when the heel was in control, um, and the crowd were kind of dead, the ring announcer would go boo to kind of like That's into perfect. the mic. Yeah, he he was a shill for everything. That's what you do. <laughs> so the ropes were so saggy that because he was wearing a mask, you know, it was a kid pleaser to do a six one nine, but the ropes were so low that the wrestler didn't even move out the way and he completely missed it and he went, Oh, fuck it, whatever. Um <laughs> And he wouldn't sign any Danielson stuff as well because he didn't want to ruin it for kids. Aw, yeah, that sounds like Brian. Mm-hmm. And, um, and He's always been P- real quirky. This, well, speaking of quirky, PCO was there that night, and he was the scariest wrestler I think oh. I've ever met. Um, he kind of um, he came over, he signed the thing. I had a Quebecers thing, and he signed it, and he didn't look at the paper. He just looked at me with his fucking <laughs> weird one eye eye patch thing. He had the eye patch on and he was kind of, he just, you know, and I was just like, uh, thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> um, he's a, yeah, he's so an he... intense individual. <laughs> so, um, um, with, okay, you were trained by Daniel Bryan and everything. Why did you move from wrestling to a uh, backstage interviewer? Uh, I was a much better talker than I was an athlete. Okay. And uh, that's the truth of it. Uh, we got the HDNet show with Ring of Honor. It was a uh, fun fact about that program. The first HD filmed wrestling program. So all the stuff that wow. WWE does now with their cameras, HDNet had done that beforehand because Mark Cuban owned it and he thought that was the future. Um, so we get that program and uh, Adam Pierce, who right now is, I think, an authority figure in WWE on SmackDown. He is yeah. uh, so people know Adam Pierce, former NWA World's Heavyweight Champion Adam Pierce. Also, friend of mine and one of my former producers and a guy who gave me a lot of opportunities. Um, basically, Pierce took over uh, the writing aspects of ROH at that time. And he came up to me. He goes, listen, man, you're the shits in the ring. And I, I took that. I, I, got, I got real upset by it. And I was like, oh, my God. You didn't even ask him. Like you did. And, he was, and he, he was right. So he said, you're shits in the ring. And then I, I got, I, he goes, hold on. Hold on. Don't get upset. But you could talk better than almost anybody. He goes, I think your future's in broadcasting. I want you mm-hmm. to be the stick man like Mean Gene Orkelin for us. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, think it over. I talked to Austin Aries, and Austin Aries pretty much said, listen, you're going to be on TV. You're going to get two to three spots a night. You don't have to get beat up. You don't have to worry about your weight. You don't have to worry about anything. I would love to do that. I thought about it, and I said, okay. So um, I told him I would, I'll do it. And then we did a dry run in Canada when we were on a road trip. And uh, – Pretty much from then on, I was no longer a wrestler except for on the East Coast for NWA Liberty States and a few independents. And I was just uh, I was just the guy who held the microphone and made funny faces and everybody got to like kind of bully. I was going to say, well, even though, you know, because you were very reactionary to what the wrestlers were saying, which and still are, which, you know, is 
but you should be and you know the, but you also give it a, a sports feel as well because you like acknowledge the cameras and all that kind of thing you're speaking to the audience at home like you know I, I hate to criticize but like the wwe way of just kind of they don't look at the cameras during promos and um the ring announcer doesn't throw or the interviewer doesn't throw it back to the ring or anything like that i'm just like oh this just doesn't it's it's a different product and yeah like i you know, I said I loved ECW growing up, so I, I kind of absorbed a lot of Joey Styles things. If you watch Joey Styles, he's a smart ass. He <laughs> reacts to the athletes. Sometimes he says shit and he has to cower away. Or if something happens, he's like, wait, no, 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 no. Uh, I remember there was a, a promo with Austin Aries that I had to do in the ring for a, an Austin Aries Invitational. Basically, he had a hat with names in it. And let me tell you, the names he was pulling out of that hat and reading were not the names that were written on those papers. <laughs> and if you watch my, re- I, I even kind of audibly be like, that's not what it says. Uh, are, are you kidding? Like, it's, like I'm, I'm, I'm being a human being because even though we're a performance and we're entertainment, you know, when I watch a show, if I really feel like that dude's a murderer, I'm more invested in it. If I'm yeah. like, there's no way Jaleel White, who played Urkel on Family Matters, murdered that person in cold blood. I can't get into this. Like, I if I can't make the connection, it's not there. So I just try to treat it like a normal thing. Also, I am a shitty actor. So I need <laughs> to actually, you know, be involved in it. Like, if you said, Kyle, cry right now, you got to give me a minute because I'm method. I got to think of something really sad. Yeah. I can play off of people. But when you give me a page and say verbatim, act this out, make somebody feel this emotion, I can't do that. I don't know how to make people feel things unless I'm being myself and having normal human interactions. I'm not a robot. Mm. Well, that's what I love about the NWA show generally as well. Because I asked Trevor about this and, um, you know, I said with like a studio audience that could potentially just become silent in places, you know, you have to, (laughs) like, you you know, ask, you know, I mean, it seems like an obvious question, but I asked, do you have to kind of work harder to really keep those fans engaged, but also, acknowledge that there is a, a you know a very dedicated youtube audience as well watching you as well because uh, that's another thing that you know other companies or let's let's face it wwe don't even acknowledge the cameras of the people watching at home and i think that's that's your main audience um and you know because the things that have got to me as a kid i loved it when matt Bourne as doing the clown would look at the camera and it, it was like looking into your soul or like, or any of the promos or anything like that. They were speaking directly to you. They weren't speaking to a wide audience. They were speaking to one person. Um, that was ECW's you know, appeal. Yeah. When I watched ECW and Mick Foley was looking right at the camera telling me about how his, his uncle was at Hiroshima and all these <laughs> other things and that that's now why you don't know my Uncle Willie. Uh, I, I'd watch these promos and I'd be enticed because they were talking immediately to me. When Steve Austin was talking about how a raw deal he got in WCW, he was just looking right in the camera. You know, none of that shit ever happened. That's like the stuff is indebitably stuck in my head. Um, so yeah, I, I completely understand what you mean about there being that connection. You know, it's you play to a live crowd. I watch PWG DVDs because I think they're entertaining as all hell, and I love the Chuck Taylor commentary. But yeah. They're they're playing to the crowd. They're not looking at the camera. They're not doing anything for that. They're doing it for themselves and they're playing to the crowd. And that appeals to me. It's like being at a live show. That's that's the feeling I get. But when I watch WWE, I just kind of for the most part, you know, I can't get that escapism. My brain won't be like, oh, let it go. You're there. Instead, I'm just going, I'm watching this on my television from afar. I'm moderately interacting with the product. But it adds a certain emotional distance. Would you say that, you know, because NWA is quite 
you know, in, inclusive as a, uh, you know, w- with regards to its uh, fan base and everything. But do you think there's like an acknowledgement that does it consider itself more of a niche product because it is actually a, a wrestling show instead of trying to be all these different things? Um, you know, because wrestling audience now generally are smaller. So like it's the hardcore fans. And is it kind of comfortable within itself appealing just to those hardcore fans or is there a is there a want to grow you know obviously every company wants to grow but are they comfortable with where they are at from in your opinion because they you can have too much nostalgia but they do it so wonderfully because they have the history and they can do it but also not just become a nostalgia show like it's a wonderful, it's a fine line, but they do it incredibly well. I know that was kind of like a weird, random. No, 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 no. I completely see where you're coming from. Uh, in my opinion, the thing that got us to the dance to begin with was a legacy. B Billy Corrigan is a name that people know and just kind of like, wait, he's involved in this. Why is why is Rockstar Smashing Pumpkins guy involved in wrestling? Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, it's we don't try to be anything we're not. We realize we're a small resurgence the nostalgia is there there's a fan base that's looking for something that's more character and not so much you know look how cool my entrance is there's flash there's pomp there's circumstance i mean you watch nwa power there's not there's not music there's nothing happening it is literally the people in a place performing like an athlete that is Mm. what our program is it's a throwback to something you would watch on you know you know, that 605 in, in 1979 to like 1986 before Ted Turner started really getting involved. We are what wrestling used to be that appeals to a certain fan base. Now, the issue with that is, you know, that fan base is where we exist and that you still need other things to grow and build as a company. Um, I, we were going in that step. We were going to start running larger venues. Power was going to be our thing. But if you wanted to see us outside of the GBC studio, you could see us at another place. And unfortunately, right now, all that got put on hiatus. Uh, The pay-per-view was going to be a step in where we would evolve to next and build upon. And, you know, we started this version of NWA by pretty much, you know, being a part of other people's programming. Uh, it was Nick, the world's heavyweight champion, making his presence known throughout different wrestling companies, CCW, ROH, you know, all over the world. And then we bridged that out into being our own thing. During COVID, while other companies had the means to run shows live, you know, we have had to kind of readopt that. And, you know, aside from Nick not appearing in AEW, which would be amazing, and, you know, only time will tell. But Thunder Rosa being such an integral part of their women's division in the last several months, you yeah. know, is, is showing it. Serena Deeb, the, the new NWA World's Women Champion, uh, having that. It is a, it's a good show, and it's kind of like a weird step back to watch because it's so similar to how this restarted. And it's just a pause, and then hopefully as time goes on, we are able to, to reclaim where we were going and build upon it. And, and some of the growth that has happened as well is, you know, through, you know, Nick has his uh, – his own action figure now through cello toys um the is the the retro mania uh, video game which is coming out soon which has nwa all over it as well so i'm guessing there's always searching for avenues to like say and obviously working with other companies as well um there's always a searching to sort of expand the you never know you never know yeah. what's going to catch somebody's attention there could be a kid that becomes a lifelong wrestling fan because he saw this random action figure and had it and then went on and thought, 
looking at other things by Googling it. And, it, and I'm talking to another action figure. He could have just grabbed a random Nick Aldis action figure somehow that like an uncle had and become a fan for life. You never know. Somebody who likes video games could pick up Retromania and be like, oh, I remember the Road Warriors. That's awesome. Who's this other guy? Oh, what's the end of you? Like, there's so many different avenues of just getting anybody into anything. I mean, I find that I end up enjoying the randomest of things through the most random of ways of discovering them. Do you, do you still kind of, um, as a fan, are you, not to make you sound like a marker, but like when you like sort of get to meet someone for the first time, does it excite you? Like, did you meet Austin Idol for the first time because of the NWA show? The uh, I, I've been really, I fanboy. I, I have no problem with that. Uh, <laughs> Ric Flair worked with us in Ring of Honor, and I got to woo with him on TV in yeah. a promo. Like that was my call. I put him into that. I was like, "Hey, could we woo together?" <laughs> and he's not, he's filming. He's not going to say no. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. There is there's no reason to not mark out for people. You you'll talk to so many wrestlers now, especially like of the the forty and under, where we'll go. Man, when I first started, I got to meet all these people, but I was told, you know, don't be a mark, don't be this, that, like. I would love it if I had a photo of me with so-and-so and and I had the opportunity or got a signature or something like not being a fan is stupid. We all got into this business because we were a fan. So us wanting to be a part of that means there's no shame in us appreciating somebody who we either fanned over or whatnot. Although there are limits to this. Uh, There was an AW show here in Atlanta earlier in the year and Salernaro went because we have several friends that work for that company and Uh we're hanging out backstage and one of my friends is uh, is involved in the company, Shane Hagedorn, uh, ROH alumnus. And uh, all of a sudden, Dean Malenko and Arn Anderson started walking our way. Now, Dean Malenko is my number one favorite wrestler of all time. I know I talk about all these people's personalities and things like that, but there was something about Dean. He was technical. He was serious. He was to the point. Mm. If all these people were going to fill in the gaps that I had in securities, Dean was a stable individual that I could pattern myself over because he wasn't overly emotive. He looked good. He moved well, and he wasn't trying to steal the spotlight, so nobody thought he was an asshole. He did what he did, and he did it well, kind of like Arn Anderson. He did what he did, and he did it well. So when I see two people that I loved and idolized walking towards me, I looked at Hagedorn, and I said, you know, the only reason I'm not about to make an embarrassment of myself and everybody here is because you work here, so I'm just going to let him walk by without saying a word. <laughs> he goes, I appreciate that. And then as he walked by, I looked at him, and I said, can, can he come back later maybe? Can, can Dean come back at least? And he goes, I don't know if Dean's going to have time to say hi later. I'm like, this really hurts. And then they hear stories of them hanging out at shows. Yeah, still a set to this day. Dean Malenko, one day I will meet him and get a photo, maybe a hug. <laughs> well, yeah, in the, in the hopefully not too distant future, we'll all be able to hug. There'll be a world uh, hug, I think. Everyone will hug. Uh, I feel, I feel uh, jealous of our best friends because they get the hug all the time. They do. They have emotional connections and physical connections that most of us are missing. You know what I just realized? We we did get a little off track. We were talking about how I got into wrestling. Basically, I went to the ROH Academy because one of those ROH shows had a little flyer on it that said Brian Danielson is the head trainer. And I became a giant Brian Danielson fan. And I was like, ooh, I would love that. Problem is, I'm not athletic. So um, the first time I go to the Academy was there was a Kenta seminar. Uh, Kenta, who's in you know New Japan now, and mm-hmm. before was a today we're talking. Uh, so Kenta had a seminar. And uh, I got lost on the way to the seminar, so I was late for the seminar. <laughs> um, I entered the room as everybody was doing, like, push-ups and squats. And uh, so I'm, like, the last there, and I'm, like, the first to quit. Not a good sign. But I'm just there to try out everything. And at the end of it, 
you know, I put in, I put in the effort that I had. I talked to Brian Danielson. I basically told him I want to be a pro wrestler. I want to do it here. And then, you know, I had money too. So I, I got accepted to the Academy because back when punk ran it, apparently you had to try out, but because so many people were intimidated by Brian Danielson and were afraid to be trained by him, like nobody came to the school. So How was um, he? How was he like in terms of person? Because he seems like the most laid back, chilled person. I imagine he would get pissed off if something no, wouldn't. Brian is the most <laughs> absurd human being I think I've ever met. Um, you'd be like, Brian, what type of music do you like to, to listen to when you're driving on long road trips? And he'd pause quizzically, like he's really thinking about it. He'd be like, I don't like listening to music when I'm in the car. I feel it's best to be left with my thoughts during those times. The man was being dead serious. Had a dog named Asparagus. He uh, he used to talk about quitting the wrestling business because he felt he had he, it was doing nothing for society. He's like wrestling. He's like I I, I need to do something to better the world. We he'd have conversations about Noam Chomsky novels and all. That. He'd be like, listen, this is what I think the world should be, and this, that, and the other thing. And he wanted to be a part of it. He was going to quit wrestling and join the Peace Corps. And then the Peace Corps goes, I'm sorry, sir, you have no discernible talents to offer us. So you know what Brian did? He started taking college classes for no other reason than so he could join the Peace Corps, so he could be a useful part of society. And then he became a world champion, married a model, and has a reality show on E. So same guy, <laughs> just a different life. I can't remember. Part of me thinks that he's just generally not hugely comfortable with a lot of that stuff. I mean, he seemed oh, more no, no, at home. No. Yeah. This is a guy who, when he was single, would, you know, get involved with women and not even in a way where like a typical guy like you, me or anybody else would be like, so the reason I sleep with all these women is because I want to. No, no. He'd be like, I'm more intrigued by how people are good at other things. Like one person's really good at this aspect of it. He like broke it down like wrestling. And it was so weird. He's like, like she excels at this, but this one he's like, it's very intriguing to think of it. Like he thought about it like a mathematical equation. And then at one point in time, it dawned on him. He's like, when I'm really in shape, not a lot of women are interested in me because I think they're intimidated by my abs. But when I have a belly like this, so many women are like, hi, nice to meet you. Like The man's mind, he, he, he's on a different wavelength. And it's, it's, it's great. He's an amazing human being. And my one big regret in life is not really putting effort in and half-assing me breaking into the wrestling industry because I had literally Brian Danielson there to help me become a fine-tuned athlete and I was too lazy to put the effort in. <laughs> are you the are you the like the guy that he won't take credit for? Then? <laughs> yes, I am. That's no, I am. So so I am the only person to graduate from the ROH Academy from his time as head trainer. And he wasn't even there when I finally graduated because I got hurt, and then he ended up leaving and going and doing stuff. And uh, by the time I got back, Brian was just like, "Oh my God, you're alive." like I, I'm the forgotten one. And also the funny thing is like, I don't even wrestle anymore. I just talk. So it's, it's very amusing that that's like the big joke. I'm the one that Brian, I'm the black sheep. Was there a particular worst bump that you ever took? Um, it wasn't, I, I tore my rotator cuff and it wasn't even on a bump. Um, like the bumping part was, was okay. I shouldn't laugh. Um, like, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it was when we were training with the only other student that Brian had there. I went to give him a fireman's carry and he did not go with it. And so I just shrugged him over and like oh. my shoulder out of its socket. And that's why I had to leave. And that's why I wasn't, when I time I finished, Brian was gone. Oh, that's, 
<laughs> I love like sort of the. I, I don't know. I, I, in a way, I kind of wasn't sure what to expect because, like, you know, to me, you know, you as an interviewer, you're trained under Brian Danielson and everything. You know, just kind of you're so like open and honest about how terrible you were. Like, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. It's Listen, really <laughs> I I have no ego. I know what I excel at. Um, like, I can't imagine trying to maintain a certain image. Like, uh, you can find pictures of me online. I used to have a uh, pink and purple gear that said "I candy on the groin." I had, I had like pretty hair and then a mohawk. Like I was a pretty boy in his mid twenties. I mean, I, I wrestling gave me an outlet to kind of be a uh, different version of myself to play a character. And yeah. also I had the stereotype. I had a girlfriend in every town. It was not good because I had a, I had a real girlfriend in my, where I lived and Uh-oh. I was not a good boyfriend. I was a horrible human being. I was a womanizer. I was, I was self-conscious. I thought I was great. But the truth is, is, you know, you get older in time, you mellow out. I, I'm not that. I'm nothing like that anymore. And I know I realize I'm a bald middle-aged guy who could talk really well. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. See, we kind of um, hopefully have more in common than I thought then. Because the only thing that we don't have in common is that I'm sort of uh, – I, I do have a lot more hair and I don't go to the gym. You go to the gym at least. I do go to the gym. I have to maintain because I eat horribly. You know, some people are like, ooh, eat a salad, eat vegetables. I love chicken tenders and french fries. I love <laughs> I, I ate burgers four times a week, but then I watched the little documentary and it wasn't it wasn't how they processed meat that got me. It was a little calf that was freed. It was safe. It wasn't gonna be eaten, it wasn't gonna be killed, it was gonna live its great life. But I have a dog named Suki. Uh, basically it's a bastardization of Shinsuke Nakamura. It's S-U-K-E. Um, <laughs> Because literally, he kind of looks slightly Asian, and also he's very athletic, and uh, I think he's cool. That's 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 why my dog's name is Suki. Okay. Um, <clears throat> shit, I lost track. I got distracted by my dog. Where were? Uh, something about being in shape and uh, staying in the gym. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, eating horribly was that's where we were going with that. Uh, so I eat shitty every day of my life. So the only way I can not be 300 pounds is to go to the gym. It's got nothing to do. Like I'd look like Rhett Titus if I ate properly, but I don't. So. <laughs> So how's your cardio then? Uh, cardio is decent. I do cardio every day because uh, it, it helps you with the love handles, which, you know, I was uh, the last couple of weeks just not doing much of anything. So they started showing back up. Yeah, the, the, that's the thing. I'm I'm kind of um, looking like a stereotypical mid-90s ECW fan at this point. Um, I look like Faith I mean, No More guy, we basically. All were. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. When oh, I was an ECW fan in the '90s, I was 270 pounds. So, good lord. Yeah, that was awesome. It really helps you develop a personality when you're in high school and you're a fat kid. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. Like when I was in high school, luckily WWF became cool, uh, so I was kind of like not uh, picked on, not ostracized I, I, or anything like that. Yeah, I didn't become nice. cool. I just became not ostracized for a short amount of time. <laughs> Um, you know, cause luckily when I was in, you know, in, um, in primary school or junior school, that's like the height of new generation. So if I was like going to secondary school, age 15, going like, yeah, I love Mantor. Like, you know, I would have got shit kicked out <laughs> on a regular basis. I think I mean, um, it's, it's 2020. If you said, I like Mantor, somebody might still attack you. <laughs> well, I did. Um, I went to Philadelphia a couple of years ago, and I found the ECW arena, and I got my picture taken out, outside of it. But I was wearing like a 
what was I wearing? It was some something that would have gotten me probably lynched by ECW fans. Um, it was like a new generation T-shirt of some of some description, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it was not, on purpose. That's where we filmed HTNet, and ROH HTNet was filmed at the ECW Arena. So that was like my coming home thing, where I was like, oh my god, I used to come to this building as a fan, and now I'm here as a worker. Uh, they're, they're struggling at the moment, aren't they? Isn't there a Kickstarter or something to try and keep it open? For the building at Swanson and Rittner, yeah, I do believe they have a. I just, I was like, no, ROH is doing great. Um, <laughs> no, the, uh, the I, I love the idea that Swanson ROH needs a kick. Yeah, I love the idea that this whole worldwide company needs a Kickstarter to keep uh, going. I, I don't know if you follow politics, but Sinclair Broadcasting Network owns Ring of Honor, which is a very right-wing propaganda news network. Yeah. So trust me, they got plenty of money in the way that this country is run. There's a lot of those people running around. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, that's the thing. I kind of, I did make a joke and it kind of, um, it wasn't even a joke. It was kind of, but I, 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 I have some black friends, American black friends, and they did not, oh, oh you have to bear with me when I say this, because this is already sounding not good, but I, I joke that, um, that say what you will about Trump, but he has better WWF memorabilia than Joe Biden. And, uh, then, you know, that Listen, we- I, I, I appreciate that humor. I got that joke. Yeah, he's got a he's got a Hall of Fame ring, doesn't he? He's got a Hall. Of, well, in in terms of the um, because many four and five were at Trump Plaza, and they made shit for their employees to wear. Um, and they had key fob. I have Jimmy Hart's WrestleMania four key fob. Um, don't ask why. I don't even know. But the but it's, it's quite <laughs> well, it has Trump written on it, and uh, I have like these pins and everything as well. And it's just, it's just a fact that Donald Trump has better wrestling memorabilia than Joe Biden. Like that's just a fact. That cannot be. I think be Joe Biden could take a better stunner, though. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Who took the worst stunner, uh, him or Linda? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, he decided to make her like the uh, the presidential small business venture president or whatever the heck she was for him. So I mean, like, apparently it's the shitty stunner club right there. <laughs> did you see the um I, this is just funny like and i don't care because i'm not a trump fan at all um and i don't think any trump fans probably listen to this actually i'll tell you what oh, i should tell you this off air because it's quite funny it's a sam houston story but i'll tell you when i'm off air. i thought you were um, telling me you've seen the demographics on there you get the you get the <laughs> spotify you get the you know all the demographics you're like listen my target audience is 14 to 35 i have this that they uh the media income of this but no you're just telling me a a Sam Houston story, which I like too. Let's run with it. Oh, should I tell you? Oh, screw it. I'll tell you. Oh, no, it's awful though. Uh, but the thing, right? Okay. okay. Don't, don't don't tell it to me on the air because my reaction to this, if I giggle and it's really messed up, will affect people's opinions. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't tell you. Um, but um, it it is kind of like sort of you know you you interview wrestlers, then you find out that the full on racist you know right wingers yep. like, it is oh. uh it is very problematic i own t-shirts of several people who i was a fan of that i found things out as time's gone on i'm like oh boy no <laughs> you have to you, you have to separate i mean uh, my room is a shrine to drug abuse and death and you know because of all the rest this of is, you want to know something messed up i have less of a problem with chris benoit killing his family than wrestlers being skeevy sexually assaulty people mm-hmm I, don't, uh, I, I, I know that's messed up, but I can still look at Chris Benoit and say, that dude killed his family. What an awesome suplex. Uh, like, I can't look at certain other people that are involved in lawsuits with my friends right now and yeah. be like, oh, that guy dick flipped somebody. I've, and then I heard the stories <laughs> about all the people. It's kind of weird. Wrestling fans have a 
a, a huge tolerance, I guess. But, you know, I spoke to um, a LGBT uh, film director who's making a, a film called Out in the Ring. It's the history of LGBT uh, wrestlers and everything from Ernie Roth to Sue Green to, you know, everyone That's currently. Awesome. Uh, and it's wonderful. But the... Um, and obviously we go into the, the, the speaking out movement that happened this year, um, you know, which was for the, to say the least, I, I opening, least. I, I mean, I still got, cringe when I see Zack Sabre Jr. with a suplex gear on now. I'm a uh, huge Zack Sabre Sabre Jr. One of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And I used to support the hell out of a brand, but I heard stories and now it makes me be like, Oh God, if these stories are true, it's, it really sucks. It's like, it's like if your favorite actor turned out to be like a serial killer, you'd be like, holy shit, what's wrong with me? Is my taste in things? <laughs> I'm sure there's, I'm sure every time somebody hears Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary, Glitter, uh, by Gary Glitter, they're like, wow, this used to be such an anthem. Ooh, oh, that's right. That's how that ended. Oh, now I'm uncomfortable. Uh, if Gary Glitter liked this song and I like this song, does that mean that I'm like, oh, no. Well, that's the thing. I... Deep downward spiral. This is true. And uh, again, this is why you have to separate the... I, I would never I would never judge a wrestler for their political allegiance or for I don't know but certainly not for their political allegiance or you know that kind of thing be but what if they what if they admit to being a flat earther well I can come on there comes I can be okay with I watch, that I, I read a flip Gordon post and I can't go oh boy oh she's I, I, I hope this is a really poorly played gimmick I wouldn't take them seriously, but I, I, I wouldn't hold it necessarily against it. I'm not going to say that every um, Trump supporter is racist and homophobe, but I do think every racist and homophobe is probably a Trump supporter. Um, yes, and, yes. Know. It's the rectangle square. Not every square. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm saying not every rectangle is a square, but every square is a rectangle. You are absolutely correct. I live See, in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a very southern part of the United States. Oh, that must be a nightmare at the moment. Yeah. I'm from Connecticut, so I'm, you know, I lived in New York City for a time. I lived in Orlando. Now I live in Atlanta. I remember driving down here and seeing big ass Confederate flags and going, woo, time travel. Uh-oh. <laughs> so luckily, every place I live is a major city. So it's this great melting pot of people from all over the place. But as soon as I leave that perimeter, you know, there are people that because I'm a guy with a shaved head and covered with tattoos and kind of have a thick neck are like, yeah, my people. And I'm like, oh, no, they're going to be very disappointed when they realize these tattoos are pink and purple. I'm super sensitive. Uh, and, you know, ugh, I am outspoken. Well, yeah, you've definitely outspoken. I mean, there's some, like the I, I feel that if you were working for WWE, you probably wouldn't be allowed to say half of this stuff. Is it like a freedom with the NWA where you can kind of you're not just bound and restricted unless you say just truly awful things? Um, you're uh, allowed Unless to... you say truly awful things like I haven't said anything you know, defamatory or anything like that. I'm just being who I am as a human being. I'm not portraying a character. I'm a super outgoing kind of like liberal guy who every now and then enjoys a, a drink and a little edible thing in there. You know, I, <laughs> the company knows that. I, I don't say anything bad about it because there, there's nothing bad to say about the NWA except I wish we were able to do more right now and I wish COVID never happened, but that's selfish because, you know, all of us, as far as me and the rest of the roster, you know, those of us that have gotten sick have been more than okay. And, you know, last I checked, I don't think most of us have lost anybody we love. But yeah. there's, you know, millions of people whose lives have been utterly destroyed by a virus that nobody could go. So I feel bad, you know, harping on, oh, we were going to, we were starting to pick up. Woe was me. We had these, all these plans. Like the plans will be there tomorrow. 
some of us won't be there because we just work elsewhere. But, you know, there's always a possibility of one day having something all come back together. But next time you see the NBA, it's going to look a little bit different, um, which is just super upsetting to me. But that is selfish because that is just so minuscule in the overall grand scheme of everything that everybody's dealt with in the last year. I know, but it's it's not top trumps. You know, everyone's things are really important to them, you know, and I think it's a case of, you know, just being as empathetic as possible. And, you know, I mean, um, I say wife before, but we're not really married. We canceled our wedding because we couldn't do it this year because uh, the COVID hit in the middle when it was supposed to happen. So, yeah, I get it. Everybody's got their individual thing. But my whole thing is I realize I'm a very small portion of a much grander, you know, world out there. And uh, I always try to look at that. Like when I'm having a shitty day and I almost take it out on somebody, I try to remind myself that, you know, my bad day is most people's, you know, best day. I've got a roof over my head. I've got friends that are amazing people that love me and I love them back. I have a spouse who is super supportive, who sees the best in me, has dealt with the worst in me and still wants to be with me. I've got two lovely dogs. I've got a career in entertainment. I have a career outside of entertainment. I mean, I have, I have nothing to complain about. So I just, I really feel for everybody who right now, you know, that PlayStation five that they want for Christmas, even <laughs> if they could get a pre-order, couldn't get it because there's just no means right now. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the thing is, you know, I, I just, I feel for everybody. It really does upset me. Well, we will, um, we shouldn't leave it on a sad note. We don't want to oh, let's let's leave it on a positive note. <laughs> um, so two questions uh, based off uh, some of your Twitter posts. Uh, so Shawn Michaels against Austin at King of Ring 97. So is that one of your favorite matches of all time? It is one of my favorite matches of all time. My favorite match of all time is Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, best out of three falls in ECW. Yeah. But as far as just, you know, fast paced, fast paced, fast paced action, that King of the Ring match, Austin and Michaels both came in being kind of the antiheroes of the company. You know, they were they were both on the verge of either being a heel or a babyface at any moment's notice. And the intensity of them thrown together to feud with the Hart Foundation, while they also dislike each other on camera, it's, it was so well done. Because it's very easy to forget Shawn Michaels and him, both Texans. I always forget Shawn Michaels is a Texan because he's a pretty boy. Um, but <laughs> that match, if you just watch from the bell, it's just counter after counter, just basically screwing up whatever the other guy has planned, beating the hell out of each other fighting with each other and then the finish is either guy wins it's a double disqualification it's fantastic neither guy loses their heat all they do is gain the intensity of it there's stunners and super kicks to referees and then they leave shoulder and shoulder with this a little bit more of a begrudging respect for each other it was so well done it was so well done but with really no build-up as well because it was meant to be sean against no. brent and austin against pillman and i know they were tag team champions but they really went into that match cold and gave yes. the crowd Every and that Providence crowd generally for events is so hot. Like it's you know one of the loudest uh, crowds um, that I think you'll ever hear, and um, especially for WWF shows. And uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of it. And don't forget that like a, a, a handicapped kid fell over the railing. <laughs> yes, that was right at the beginning. And what happens? Shawn Michaels gets security off and does one of the most humane things I think of Shawn Michaels of that era had probably done. Yeah. Um, if you've ever heard the story about the two girls with the glass table and Shawn Michaels and the peeing, oh man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Basically, the guy could have the possibility of having a three-way, but he's so bored with them at this point in their life. The thing that gets him off more is just degrading them. I think there was piss on them, and he's just like, ha ah. ha Like, what a piece of garbage. Yeah. But still, oh, I mean, I've like, got, 
I've got to tell you a Michael story that I heard from someone that you are familiar with. Oh, but th- th- that's such a teaser. I can't tell it on air. I'm going to tell you another story one off air that you may have heard before, but I'm not sure. Guys, okay. subscribe to After the Podcast. <laughs> it's going to be live from my living room. You're going to hear all the stories that were too hot to tell on the air here. Will someone get in trouble? Only time could tell. Tune in. one 909 that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, the Mean Gene hotline, yeah. Um. <laughs> I was Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels-Austin, yes, is one of the most entertaining matches I can watch over and over again. Wonderful. And um, shitting in a gym. Um, so is that the worst place for you to shit? Uh, so, I mean, my whole thing is I'm, I don't like publicly pooping. Publicly, I, uh, yeah. Say that three times. Publicly pooping, publicly pooping, publicly pooping, publicly pooping, publicly pooping, publicly pooping, uh, six times. Um, <laughs> end up chewing on gum. Um, <laughs> no, it's just one of those things where I know it's a normal body feature. Everybody does it. It is what it is. But it's just the uncomfortability of being in this area with strangers that I'm going to be hanging out with afterwards because I'm at a gym. So they're going to see me. And like, if I stink up that bathroom or I make horrible noises or I'm in there too long or I'm in there too short or they don't like the way I wash my hands, they're going to be eyeballing me when I'm lifting weights and judging me more than they probably already were. <laughs> this is true. I find it liberating though. Like really? See you. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Hogan assessment? No, <laughs> this could the go Hogan many different ways here. A, right. Okay. I, it's, it's got nothing to do with brothers, brothers. It is a personality exam that corporations use. And essentially, so they can analyze their leaders' weaknesses and growths and stuff like that. So for my other job, I had to take one. And uh, if, you, if you answer honestly, you'll get honest results. And I am nothing but honest. I get it back. And there is a power scale on there. Like how, uh, how, how driven you are, how assertive you are, how basically like how powerful, you, what your claim for power is. Mine was zero. It basically said that I have zero aspirations or drive or anything like that. And I also have no want for it. So when you were like, it's a power thing to poop in public, like you're taking control of the situation. I'm like, I could do without that. I don't need control of the situation. <laughs> I like having, um, the, I'll, I'll, oh, if people aren't going to turn off by now, let's screw it. Let's, let's go for it. I'm going to, I always carry um, wet wipes to clean oh, the, the seat. Wet wipes? Yeah. Okay. It, to clean the seat and that poop be gone spray too. No, no, no. This is just to clean the seat because I'm kind of, um, you know, germaphobe. Well, most toilet seats have piss all over them, and you don't know who was there before you and stuff like that. So and I'm kind of and there's COVID on them. And there's COVID on them. So uh, this is awful, but I will largely, if it's empty enough, I will use a disabled bathroom for the room. Um, I like to have my legs quite spread apart. I like to enjoy it. I like to chill out a little bit. You know. Um, this is turning, turning into the best friends, uh, old shoot interviews they used to do where they'd ask the guest, uh, how do you wipe? Do you wipe? And then the guest, oh, between goes, the legs, mean, how do I wipe? And he's like, you know, 50% of the people wipe this way. The 50% of the people wipe this way. And mm-hmm. then both of them don't realize the other exists. And they just assume the way they poop is how everybody poops. That was the setup for it. It's fantastic. I get up slightly and I'm a reach around her. And then I have to look to make sure that there's nothing on it. And then I'm like, See, I'm good to go. I've got a big fat ass so like it's like a, like kevin smith says it's like a hermetic seal over the the seat so like I kevin kind of, smith by the way one of my favorites of course yeah yeah that's I've, I've i know too many friends who have met him i got to see when the new jane silent bob premiered in london he did a q a after it and that was the first time i was in his presence but um he did the reboot road show yeah the traveling road show ah uh, that's cool so yeah no back to back to pooping um <laughs> so 
Because I like to have my legs. Yeah, now, I wear jeans. So what I'll do is, oh, I'm telling you far too much. I can't believe I'm telling you this. I can't believe I'm telling this on a podcast. That fucking hey, listen, you can talk to me. It's a safe place. <laughs> this, is, this is your program. This is your program. You get to be you here. It okay. doesn't matter how mundane it is. The more you're you, the more people will respond to it. Okay, this is good. Well, okay, so what I'll do is because okay, I like so your pants are your pants are a button, they're going down. And now it's sounding like a sex podcast, but no, it's a podcast about pooping. <laughs> so I'll take one shoe off. Um I will hop because you don't want to have your sock touch the, the ground. I will get one I will get one leg out. Just one leg, and then I'll put the shoe back on, and then you've got more room to spread your legs because I'm wearing jeans. And you know, there's wow. it's quite limited. And you know, I, I kind of don't want them around my ankles because that limits how far you can spread your legs. Um, and you know, because you don't want the the sh- the shit to like paint your ass brown. You know what I mean? You want it. Wow. You got spread. some explosive excrement right there, my friend. Not explosive, just large. Somebody's getting their brand and their fiber. He's eating right. <laughs> you know what? You don't want to end the podcast on a bad note. Okay. I think this is a good note. I think that that was the release of all the other things we talked about right there. I think that's the perfect out. It's not sad. It's not negative. It gives you something to think about as you're logging off. You're on a drive. It's a dark night. There's rolling blackouts like there was last night. You're thinking, man, I hope I can get home. I hope there's power. I hope there's hot water. I hope I'm able to to hang out and and just be all comfy there. And then this comes on, and all of a sudden you start hearing about it, and you're like, you know what? How do I poop? You start thinking about it. And then at the end, you remember, you know what? I feel a little bit closer right now, just because we talked about how we all poop. And the more it's, I think about it is that no matter what happens, you know, there's death, there's taxes, and there's pooping. It's one of the constants. We're all every one t- people. We're every time I'll see, yeah, every time I'll see you on a show now, I'll watch you knowing that you now know the story. <laughs> I mean, I told you too. Mine was just less involved. <laughs> Oh no! I, I, you know, pooping is it's a you know it's a beautiful thing. Like I'll take a book, I'll listen to music, I'll you know. Oh, I'm the same way until my legs go sleepy, and then everybody's <laughs> like, "Why do you like why do you like pooping so much?" I say, "It's time to myself. I could catch up on my reading on my phone or read a couple comic books or something." And also, I feel lighter afterwards. And since I have such a horrible body image, I go, "I just lost two pounds." Yeah, no, this is tr- the, the worst place to poop, though, is definitely on a plane. I nearly dislocated my shoulder trying to wipe my ass because um, it was yeah. just – the room was so small. Um, but, yeah. We no, ran was- a building in uh, – shit, I don't even remember where we, we ran it. But uh, was it Ohio? Somewhere. Iowa? Somewhere. I can't remember the hell it was. But this ROH place, the bathrooms had no doors on them, and there was just <laughs> one bathroom. And it was right at the front of the building where the line would be. So if you had to go poop and the show was starting, there was a line of fans that you had to walk next, go into a room that didn't have any doors, and just try to shit. Oh, that's amazing. So I'm guessing you're quite – well, the thing is, though, what you can do at that point is you can grab a load of, you know, loo roll, put that down the toilet, and then when the shit hits the water, it won't make a splashing noise. No one will hear it. Nope, 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 nope. I ended no? up going to get one of the curtains that we use to block off parts of the building. I crawl, grabbed one that we had after. I brought it in the bathroom with me. I used it to make my own little cave of a toilet. <laughs> that's that's good going. That's quite inventive. Thank you. Yeah. No. And I think that that's this has been one of the more random podcasts that that I've ever done. I never talked. That's to okay. Ahmed, I never talked to Ahmed Johnson about shitting. I'm sorry. This is. 
you know, my apologies. I really went off track there. Um, this is also very similar to a plug. Sal Renaro and I keep on saying we're going to do a podcast it's called Kyle and Sal Lack Direction. We, uh, we have a graphic up at everything, but every episode would be pretty much this, just us riffing with a guest and having him come on. One day it'll happen because remember, uh-huh. I have zero on the power scale and no drive. So we've yet to film one yet because of me. I would certainly do more podcasts if they turned out like this, like a bit of wrestling, a bit of pooping. Um, you know, because your career, it's on the internet. People know about you. <laughs> it's, it screws it up. So there's Kyle Davis is such a generic name. There's so many of them that it's impossible to find me. I used to work as Kyle Durden, like yeah. Fight Club, and that pops up still. But now there's a skateboarder named Kyle Durden, so he's starting to become relevant. So now I'm just like, son of a bitch. I'm All just right. the guy. You're like Michael, uh, Michael Bolton off Office Space. Yes. I, yeah. just, yes, exactly. It, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Except you're the more famous one. Yeah, well, you know, fame is – if you watch NWA or you watch Ring of Honor, then you know who I am. Otherwise, thankfully, uh, I get recognized very, very – I, I was out to eat with uh, Zicky Dice at a Taco Mac a couple days ago, which is like a wing joint here because he moved over near me. So we're out there eating, and this girl goes, are you Zicky Dice? And he goes, uh, yes, I am. And she goes, oh, my God, what are you doing here? And I just look at him, and I go, wrestling or Twitch? And she goes, I know him from Twitch. And I just remember thinking, my God, Twitch has a bigger sac- uh, market saturation than wrestling does. So, yeah, I get recognized very, very literally. I got recognized as being a waiter from my hometown when I lived in Florida once, but not recognized as a wrestler. <laughs> I think on that note, um, on the yeah, you know, we went the hour of Broadway. I think so. Yeah, where can people? Do you want people to find you? Yeah, like, you can find me. <laughs> I, I'm golden. I'm all over the place. I uh, accepted way too many people on Facebook, and it got really weird because a lot of people just uh, were not people like like me. You're listening to me. If you if you get along with me, that's great. I'm on Twitter at uh, Kyle Davis ATL. My uh, Instagram is also Kyle Davis ATL. Um, but I am totally out of space for bears and rednecks on my Facebook, unfortunately. <laughs> um, they either had a conservative flag up or they were like gay men that knew I, they thought I was handsome, which was nice because I'm very insecure and I need anybody who thinks I'm attractive to tell me constantly because my <laughs> wife, her telling me all the time is great. But uh, there's just something about when my friends go, uh, hey, I got a weird friend request today. It was uh, this, this really burly guy wearing leather. And then I looked and we had one friend in common and it was you. Like, I kind of popped for that. <laughs> See, the, the thing is, though, I am gay, but I didn't add you because you were handsome. Sorry. Oh! Yeah. If I told you you were handsome, would that help? It does. Again, very, very insecure. Okay. That's good. See, I've, I have friends who live locally who are wrestlers and uh, those sort of older guys that will – because they're like early 20s and the, the fans are called, uh, in inverted commas, grapple gays. And they're the kind that want to see <laughs> – they want to see, you know, you in a in a bathtub, eat, you know, full of baked beans, eating them customs. or whatever. Or, oh my god, know. they want to see custom matches. Yeah, yeah. You know, and about customs, right? Oh, I, I, one hundred. Not that I've okay. seen any. Not that I've seen any. No, no, no. Um, I just I wanted to make sure the reference was got, and I was like, wait, hold on, maybe this doesn't make it across the pond. Yeah, I heard. I mean, Seth Rollins is, uh, you know, typing Seth Rollins custom matches, and you never know what might pop up. Wow, I have a story about that in Kenny Omega, but okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah, you got to tell me that one off air. Um, 
right, your, I guess that's the end. <laughs> your, your, your silence speaks volumes there. I have a feeling that I'm not no, going to find out that story. I'm not bad about that. It was just when he started with Ring of Honor, I remember like a lot of people were like, who's the guy who does flips off of stuff in the woods and does these like weird super sensual videos of like a uh, like pretty boy dance fight or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, dude could wrestle, dude could go, always kept to himself, was super cool. And I was nice to him all the time, but he really got so much shit from that locker room back in the day, just because people didn't know like where he was coming from or what his deal was. So that does me great joy to see him be such a success being himself in this day and age and not getting to where he needs to be, because that used to be one of those things where people just didn't know how to read him. To the point where I was at AEW, I introduced myself to him and he stared at me for a minute and he goes, I know you. I'm like, yeah, we worked together a long time ago. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I didn't forget who the hell you are. And then Hagedorn leans in. He goes, you barely remember me every day. And he goes, yeah, it's because you're not memorable. (laughs) So apparently me not being an asshole to Kenny Omega endeared me to him in some way, shape or form like a decade ago. So always treat people with respect. Don't be a dick. And, uh, you know, maybe success will follow. That's the way I look at it. Little Adam Pierce paraphrase right there i think it was his was work hard don't be a dick and something else but man's one of my mentors so i think a moral is a good way to end the podcast don't take drugs eat your vegetables um all that don't be a dick and um god bless america mm, salute. <laughs> uh, um, whatever god you believe in be real and care about you and bless all of us because we're one planet. One country is not better than the other. We all have our own things to offer and our own people, which matter. Beautiful. And uh, WrestleMania 9 isn't shit. <clears throat> <clears throat> so long. <laughs> right. Okay. Kyle Davis, thank you for this wonderfully weird random chat that we've had because, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about your career. It was fine. We got that in there. I wrestled, I failed, (laughs) I became a broadcaster, I got older. And then we talked about pooping. We'll put that on Wikipedia. Standing, you spread your legs and take one pant leg off while a shoe and do a balancing act while trying to do as many push-ups, singing La Mantra. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay, thank you very much, and uh, thank you to everyone listening to this week's episode of Turn Chuckle. They're not all like this. This was probably one of the better ones, to be fair. Uh, if only I could have asked everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, and see you all again next week. <laughs>